This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. There's no doubt that metrics reports are valuable for marketers. After all, those numbers offer insights that greatly influence decisions around where a company should be spending its money. But what happens when two completely different programs, such as an NBA game and a network television drama, draw similar audience metrics? How do you differentiate the two? Or does it not even really matter? After all, if both programs are drawing the same number of viewers, they have to be equivalent, right? There's a number of variables that you would look at to evaluate whether something is meaningful, but it all depends on what the consumer target is that you're looking at. You can put in any variables that you want, really, to decide what they are, which program you would choose. But you're not just looking at spots and dots like we have in the past, right? You're really evaluating that programming based on whether it will resonate with the audience and whether it's in the right context for that audience. All of those spots and dots, they are important in their own right. And on this episode of Marketing Trends, Aaron Flaxman, the Global Chief Growth Officer for Havas Media Group, explains why. Aaron discusses why it's important to dive deeper into all the numbers on your metrics report in order to better understand your target audience. Plus, she gives some practical tips on how brands can create more meaningful content based on what the metrics reveal in order to more fully connect with consumers. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a special guest, Aaron. How are you? I'm great. How are you? It's a great day to be chatting about marketing and uh, excited to have you on the show. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, your role as Global Chief Growth Officer at Havis Media Group uh, and your background. So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Well, I actually um, started out, I graduated with a political science degree and I thought I was going to be in the Foreign Service. Um, and then unfortunately, at the time that I graduated in the 90s, which I just aged myself, I guess, Uh, There were not a lot of roles in the Foreign Service for people who didn't speak Arabic or Slavic languages. So I was then challenged to find another role. And I I saw an ad in the Toronto Star newspaper. I'm Canadian. And it was for an advertising agency entry position. So I went to the interview. And it was actually for a media communications company, a media agency. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what the role was. And they asked me to write a math test. And I couldn't figure out why I would need to write a math test for an advertising job. But now I know because I've been media for the last 20 years. And then so flash forward to today, what does it mean to be the global chief growth officer for Havis? So I am responsible for um, new business and marketing communications across the group globally. So that means Basically, I run global pitches, external and internal communications for the company, and then also best practices for the network in in both of those areas. That's basically a short form or long, maybe it's a long form answer of saying I run global pitches and I try to win more business for our agency. And so for for people who don't know, can you share a little bit more about Havis? Yeah, of course. So uh, Havas Group is um, our parent company. 
And we're one of the agencies within that umbrella. We're the media group. There's also a health and creative group within that umbrella as well. We focus on uh, media communications, planning. I mean, I think the key thing about Havas is we are the company that cares about making a meaningful impact for brands, businesses, and consumers. And so that's our overall mission statement. Um, We have, you know, operations all over the world in pretty much every country. And our structure is set up with the three large holding companies underneath or the three large brands underneath the holding company, Havas Health, Havas Creative, and Havas Media Group. And so I work for the media group. Our operation is, uh, I think we're in over 140 countries. um, And we operate with a village model at Havas. So that means we're very different than most other agencies because we're all situated in one building. So the creative group, the health group, the media group all work together across all functions so that that way we operate sort of fully integrated and we're able to really work across all functions together on any client business. The Havas Media Group is focused mainly on uncovering what we believe to be meaningful media for consumers. As our positioning is literally to make a meaningful difference to brands, businesses, and people from the entire group. What we did was we went on a mission to kind of understand what that means for media. And as you can imagine, in the current environment that we're in, it's really important to understand how consumers feel about media. And in our last study that we conducted, which was called the Meaningful Brand Study, uh, we found out that basically people would not care if, if almost 80% of all brands disappeared. So we're actually about to relaunch another study in March, the follow-up to that. Um, But I think the key thing about that for us is that what we really like to focus on is understanding how we can change those perceptions and how we can help our clients, the prospective clients and our clients to reach the consumers that they want to in a much more engaging way. So one of the things that we really, really have focused on over the last few years is understanding what media that's trusted, engaging and influential um, that people are actually responding to. And uncovering that by developing a number of tools and frameworks to help us look at that media in the right way. And so what we've done is we've stopped traditional media planning and we've become what we call the media experience agency or MX, similar to what you would call, you know, user experience. It's the media experience that we focus on. So, wow, 80% of, I love that state. So 80% of brands, uh, if they no longer existed, nobody would care. Uh, the ultimate tree falls in the forest. That's pretty wild. I'm sure, honestly, it will be interesting just to see if it's gone if it's gone up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it has. But I think there'll also be some really interesting factoids in this because we did the study during COVID. You know, we asked a lot of different questions. So we'll will be really interesting to see what consumers are saying, especially I think about in the media space, right? Because look at what's been going on. I mean, it's the craziest time for anyone in, in social media, et cetera. So it'll be really interesting to see what they say about brands in the social media space as well. Oh, yeah, I for sure. You know, it's it's really that's a fascinating. I, I mean, I would love to, you know, like unpack that study a bunch and, and kind of figure figure out that sort of thing. I mean, I think that there's so many there's so many products that, you know, I mean, if you just look at the history of uh, Walmart or Amazon Basics or anything like that. There are so many things that are commodities that I could totally see that you know nobody cares if you know 
the person who makes your wall outlets, uh, if that brand goes away because, you know, well, you know, someone else will, will make a wall outlet. Uh, maybe you don't care so much. So what are the, what are the, the companies that people really love? And then, you know, as a marketer, how do you, how do you kind of capture that love in your advertising and your marketing to make sure that people, you know, remember and understand those things? Yeah. I mean, the, the basic premise of our entire company is that we, you know, we look for meaningfulness in everything. And so we start out every project with what we call a meaningful brand idea. And from there, we try to move forward with any communication that flows around that concept, but also helped us as a media agency develop tools to uncover things. So what we did, so I don't know how much you know about media buying, and I'm sure you don't want to know that much about it, but a typical media buying, you look at a GRP, which is a gross rating point, right? And that's how many people are watching a spot at any given time, um, for a lack of a better way of putting it. So what we developed is what we call the meaningful rating point. So we're looking at programming that is resonating with people in different ways, right? If it's relevant, if it makes them feel good. So you're looking at things, you know, apples to apples, you could have two programs that reach the same number of people, but you want to buy the meaningful rating point, not the GRP. That's super fascinating. And yeah, we can talk as much about that as you'd like, because I love this stuff. So are you saying, so like, let's take a similar sized audience, maybe like, I don't know, like an NBA basketball game and like, you know, an episode of Breaking Bad when it aired, for example. Let's just pretend that those two numbers were part of the same. Are you saying that like, that those two audiences, maybe they're the same size, but one is meaningful in one way and one is meaningful in another way. So, you know, if you're a brand that's meaningful to one audience, you might not be to another. Or what are you, what are you kind of saying there? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of variables that you would look at to evaluate whether something is, is meaningful. Because, but it all depends on what the consumer target is that you're looking at, right? And so you, you can put in any variables that you want, really, to decide what they are like which program you would choose. But you're not just looking at spots and dots like we have in the past, right? You're really evaluating that programming based on whether it will resonate with the audience and whether it's in the right context for that audience is really important. It can also be applied to digital, right? So what we have is this other tool called the Meaningful Digital Matrix. And so that also looks at digital and in terms of you know where you're serving ads online. And we have other tools, you know, we have a social tool, we have an out of home tool, we have tools all across the spectrum that can help you get beyond just what is the rating point, what is the reach times frequency on that audience. And so it helps you to really look at the quality of your programming in a different way. I'm I'm all in on meaningful media. I think it's an awesome uh, you know, proposition uh for you all and for for your clients. Um I, you know, I think that it's something, like you said, back in the day, we just, we just followed numbers, right? And, you know, the why behind that stuff didn't really matter so much. I, I always joke, I have a PG version of this and a and more R-rated version of this. Um, but it's like, I call them like tooth problems, where it's like, oh, if you're selling a toothbrush or toothpaste, and you have 1 million people watching a show, you're like, well, Presumably, one the million people of this show all have teeth, and so we can sell them, you know, toothpaste, and uh, and that's good enough. So then you just have these large CPG brands that 
predominantly dominate those sort of things. But that's about it. Like that's about the targeting. And it doesn't really matter what the program is or was or uh, or anything else like that. And I think that that's probably largely where a lot of the rift came in with agencies where if you're just kind of like facilitating a transfer of, okay, well, you know, you're, we're just, you know, buying media to get you in front of people. At some point, that just stops being as helpful. Whereas what you're talking about of, you know, helping them connect with meaningful media is, you know, exponentially valuable, potentially. Yeah. And I mean, I think we can look at it from a, um, from a, the perspective of like, Initially, you know, you're always looking for the connection period, right? You want to connect with them at the right time. You want to you want to get in front of them. But then you want to make sure that it's contextually relevant when you're there. And we've all been there, right? Where we've all been watching a program and thought like, God, like this is irritating that you just served me this ad right now. I don't want to see this in this program. It's so out of context. Like, yeah, I, I buy that product, but this is completely out of context in the situation that you're in. And then we also can help drive content when we know that, right? So we can help feed into this sort of brief, the creative brief and help decide, okay, this is actually what's really going to resonate with the audience better. And so I think it's taking traditional media planning and buying to a whole new level. And and many agencies have different tools that they use, but I think ours is unique because we are the ones who focus on, on the meaningfulness. So, you know, for years and years, we had we had Nielsen ratings as kind of like the top, um, or not top, the only way to really look at a lot of this stuff. Everyone wants to know measurability and trackability and ROI. You know, the rise of digital allows, you know, really talented, talented marketers to measure like they never have before. Are we, are we getting closer to that? Is that something that is part of um, meaningful media? Well, I mean, in addition to what we do from that angle, we also have a massive data and analytics practice, right? And their job is to be constantly improving how we measure and and optimize what we're doing all the time. So yeah, I think, are we getting closer to that? Yeah. You know, Nielsen's a very, very important resource and source for us for that data too. But we're also tapping into first and third party data sources, depending on the category. Um, and that's an interesting add-on that you know has only happened in the last few years, where we're really able to get access to data beyond the traditional media measurement tools. Okay, so then you know to to kind of go one level deeper on on meaningful media, what do you think that like folks like not your clients, not people like that, what do you think they're missing there um, with this? Uh, like, do you think that it's just something where they just don't have the right? you know, attention or is it that they don't like have the right strategy or what, what are people kind of uh, uh, missing in terms of building like a meaningful brand? Is it just like, you know, too much features and benefits or like what, how, how can, how can companies do this better? Do you mean the actual marketers themselves? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. The marketers themselves, like as, as, as someone who's like, you know, thinking of, uh, of, of talking to you about, you know, working with, working with your organization, like, you know, and they're they're kind of in that moment of uh, that decision moment. Like, what what mindset are they in? Uh, is it something that folks are you know falling behind and want to try to like take the next step? Because it seems like if if they're not doing meaningful media, then like what are they doing? Right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think though it's 
it's basically there's been this, you know, massive explosion of access to data. And everyone has a lot of access, but not everyone knows how to take it and do something with it that will help drive these kind of insights. And so I think that's where we can help marketers the most because we can take this, you know, massive bunch of information that actually helps them get to what would make their brand more meaningful um, or the messaging that they're using and, and actually take those insights and turn them into something that they can use in their content development, in their strategies. I think everyone has the intention of doing that, but it's very hard to take thousands and thousands and millions and zillions of terabytes or whatever it is of, of data and get the insights out of that. And so that's where they need the most help, I think. And I think that's what most, most marketers come to us with as a challenge. You know, we're really looking at digital transformation and we need you to help us with our data. So one of your core responsibilities is working on new business and, and working with new businesses to develop best practices um, and, and working with those folks to try to figure out, you know, how, how you all at Havas can, can help them. So what does that look like? So essentially, I am responsible for the team that works with new business prospects. And in the process, we sort of go through a lot of different stages. So in helping them in that way, what we usually have happen during a pitch is they'll give us a strategic brief and they'll say, here's a challenge that we have, right? And they'll give that to all the agencies and then they'll compare how we all respond back. So they'll give us maybe one strategic brief or a couple different strategic briefs about brands, category-specific challenges, country-specific challenges. And then we work on that in a fairly condensed time frame to help solve, you know, present back a solution. So it's interesting because it's kind of like how we would normally work across a client on a regular day-to-day basis, but in a much more condensed, shorter time frame. And now that we're working virtually it's, you know, it's made it a little bit more challenging. So as you, as you, I know, have challenges probably with technology, given that you are running a podcast, we too have the same challenges. So working together, we typically used to fly in to a city and all work together, you know, on that project for days on end until we managed to tackle it. And then we presented it to a client in person. Now we're doing that all virtually. So, you know, we're learning how to really look at how we pull out insights and how we work together to generate great ideas in a much different way than we've ever had to before, which has been very interesting, but also challenging. But we've been working on a few big pitches in the last year that we've been very successful at. So we're learning as we go, but it's been a kind of an eye-opening experience for us in terms of ways of working, because one of the most important parts of pitching is building chemistry with your client. And so now we're trying to build chemistry with them, do work sessions with them, you know, work on, you know, how we apply the insights to the strategies and come up with solutions in a remote way. And it's been, um, it's a totally different world that we're living in now. Yeah. I mean, brain brainstorming is like so much harder, right? Yeah. I mean, agencies, agency people are used to just being together. You know, we work in the same space. We, I have a global role. So I, I'm on Zoom all the time and was before, you know, COVID, but now it's every single thing. Yeah. So brainstorm a typical session, we would throw the presentation on the wall and, and, you know, work on it together and really move things around. Now we have to do all of that virtually. And so we really have to be much more efficient in the way we use our time. And we need to be much clearer about, you know, who's doing what and how we pull that all together. But doing a brainstorm with a client, I mean, on a Zoom call, 
it's not, it's not easy. You know, it's, um, it's challenging. And so that's another thing we have to do now is we really have to investigate all the technology, all the virtual technology that we can use to do that. But we, we have to nail the basics first, which is even just to make sure that everyone's Wi-Fi works, you know? So we're going from like, we used to sit in a room with 20 people and stand in front of the room and present the content to now, you know, worrying that somebody might get kicked off their Wi-Fi in the middle of the meeting presentation. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think, I think so many, I mean, from what I've seen in my conversations um, with a lot of companies is that people are trying to schedule things in, in 30 minute blocks or 45 minute blocks or things like that, or an hour when it's like really, it's probably, I don't know the stats on this, but it's probably half as productive to do it over Zoom or something like that, maybe um, for certain types of meetings, especially if you have like a lot of people that are, you know, in the call or whatever. And so it's like, you know, if you schedule an hour on a Zoom call with a group of people to do like a creative presentation and to talk through a bunch of things, it's like, you end up actually doing about 20 minutes of, of, of real work. And then everybody just kind of finishes uh, the meeting. Like, what did we get done today? Uh, and then you schedule, you know, a 30 minute, you know, call for uh, two weeks later. And then that call, you get absolutely nothing done. It seems like we need like larger blocks of time to do creative work. Yeah. And I think, but I do think that there's also got to be like, got to be a little bit of um, like, we're all tired of being on zoom all day long. Right. So Sometimes when you get on a call and everyone's chit-chatting, it's like, okay, guys, like, let's just do it. Let's like, we all want to bond and connect, but we've bonded and connected enough this week. Like, let's get to the project. So it's hard because, you know, you have to be, you have to be kind of strict with how things flow on these calls or you never get anything done. Because in the past, like you said, we would sit in a room for 12 hours and we would take breaks and, you know, come in and out and do whatever we needed to do. We weren't very productive, really. Well, we were productive, but we weren't very efficient, you know, because we knew we were there anyway. Whereas now it's like, okay, we have an hour and you're right. Like you don't get it done. It takes a lot to coordinate that meeting another time with all of those same people because we're all over, you know, we're all over scheduled. So to try and get the same 20 people back on the phone soon is hard, you know, and you're like, oh, great. Now we've got to set a follow-up meeting and everybody's conflicted with other meetings. And, And of course, because we're pitching. Clients always come first. So, you know, if someone has a client call, they have a client call. That's always going to be the priority. So, but, but back to the, to, to the pitching the client piece, to me, it seems like more now than ever, the client wants to have the answer in the pitch rather than just the brainstorming. And, and yet they're still reluctant to like, seed over like it's like they're they 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 want like hey i want something like pretty baked but at the same time like i'm going to continue adding more and more thoughts into it over time uh because there isn't that kind of like consensus moment i'm curious if if you've kind of found something like that as well yeah i mean i think the thing that comes to mind about that is so yeah so for example you have a client meeting and they give you this you know big long agenda of all things they want you to cover so you have to get to the point you can't show the thinking behind it as much as you would like to. That's not really any different than when we were in the room though. But the challenge is they start asking questions and you go into a rabbit hole and you don't get through the rest of the content, you know? So you're, you're kind of caught because you want to show the thinking, you want to show the work behind it. It's really important for them to understand the process that we go through because we think that, you know, it's unique. 
And it's our, it's what differentiates us from everyone else. But at the same time, they really want us to get to the point and give them a solution. So you're sort of torn. How do you go about that? And now we have virtual Q&A sessions, which is kind of difficult because, you know, people can't talk over each other like they would in a room. You can't kind of indicate to someone, okay, no, I'm going to ask that question or I'm going to answer that question, right? So you're kind of in a, in a tough spot where you end up in these rabbit holes sometimes unintentionally because, you know, and they want to know, how did you get to this answer? What are the data sources you use? You know, uh, all kinds of different detailed questions around the thinking, yet you got to get to the solution or they'll never buy it. If you don't get to the solution, you're, you know, that's the most important thing that they want to hear at the end of the day. And you have all these different stakeholders. Some stakeholders won't care about other things, right? And in a meeting room, they probably wouldn't ask the same questions. You're totally right. I think that like the process that goes into it, those sort of things from that standpoint are, are, are more important now because you really have to do the do the work on the front end to make sure and not saying that like you all do this but i think that there is there's is some sense that like when you're an established organization or an established agency you can walk into a meeting into those meetings and like spend a lot more time like feeling out the client for all the things that they are looking for and like really do that kind of investigative sales approach and like learn what they're really trying to say by the things that they're not saying and things like that. But now it's like, there's not really that time to do that. So you kind of have to make assumptions um, and do a lot more digging and research and have that stuff kind of ready to go. And then be able to, like you said, kind of say, okay, well, here's the solution now. Like, fire away your questions or poke holes or, yeah. Uh, yeah. or you know, is, is this sort of a thing? It's, it's just like, I think the onus is on the agency a lot more than it used to be, is kind of my point. Yeah. And I mean, virtual pitching does not allow for you to in any way read body language or reactions, right? Sometimes you'll have a small team on the call, but it's highly unlikely. And not everyone goes on their video camera. So sometimes it's just a voice, you know, that you're hearing. So the whole personal connection and being able to read a room and like, pivot as you need to, because you have all that work done. You had, you did all the work, you have it in your pocket, you know, it inside now, you're just not able to present all of it. Then you have to, you know, virtually figuring out what you pull out and don't pull out and how, you know, we have at our company, we set up, a, you know, a chat for every meeting and we chat with each other the whole time. I shouldn't be saying this, it's probably spilling our secrets, but I'm sure everybody does it. So you guys are probably doing it right now. I don't know. So everybody, we text each other with, you know, okay, you answer this question or don't forget to mention this. It's very bizarre. It's a totally different way of working. Oh, yeah, for it's sure. A totally different way of working. But it's also like how we, I don't know how we'll ever go back because it's also helpful. So there's pluses and minuses to it, right? You're not in the same room together. So you can't give each other like the dirty look across the table or the smile or the nod, like, yeah, good answer or whatever. But you also can't text each other and say, don't forget to say this. You know, so now we're going to be going back to, to the old world at some point. I'm sure it'll never go back to the entire, you know, old way of doing things, though. I think clients have seen you can do things virtually, especially in global situations. And there's going to be a lot more of that. Yeah. I mean, I, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't think this goes back, to be fully honest. I like, I don't think it ever will. And the reason why is because your team probably wants to, to be in person. Mm -hmm to like get deep brainstorming done, their team wants to be in person to make decisions and to do deep work together. But two organizations coming together in person 
to talk about, you know, what decisions they're going to make. I don't think that that is going to be an in-person thing in the future, just because like it requires, you know, so much coordination that now we can do it like this. It's, it's, I think it is pretty forever changed from this perspective. I've pretty much been working, working remote on that. I mean, you know, I, I, I live in the Bay area as our listeners know. I mean, for the people that, that I've worked with over the past three years, I'd say 80% of the people that live in the Bay Area that are a short, quote unquote, short drive away, we still had fully remote experiences with them anyways, <laughs> even if they're even if they're in the same city. So, it, so it's like at that point, and you know, I, I would always say this about, about organizations, like, you know, if you're in Salesforce Tower, for example, Salesforce is our awesome sponsor of the show. If you're on the 20th floor of Salesforce Tower and the other group is on the 35th floor, like how much are you spending you know, in a day with, with that group anyways, right? Like elevators a little slow at the end of the day, you know, stuff like that. So it's just, um, I, I think that this is kind of the new normal. So then it gets to the question of like, how do you do this? Great. Like what, what's, what's, what is the way that you've seen to really wow people, um, and to make, make this whole process something that still feels special and bespoke and unique and core to your brand? Um, like what, what are the things that, that you've seen of, of, you know, ways to do this great? Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, people used to laugh at me because I was like very focused on the basics. Like make sure you have a background on your screen that everyone has one from the team so that when the clients see us talk, they have, it has our name on the back. Like that's how basic we were, right? But it's important because it's, like we need to be able to represent our brand somehow and have a clarity about who we are. We work entirely remotely right now. I, I mean, just like you said, I see very few of the people in New York very often, except on Zoom. And I'm only, you know, 20 minutes from my office. But we, you know, we do everything on SharePoint. SharePoint has become our, you know, our frenemy because it works great when it's working. And when it crashes, it's a complete disaster. So... I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting. We've been experimenting with lots of different tools. We we actually went into the office for one of our presentations and half of us were there and half of us were remote. And we realized it was actually easier for all of us to be remote because we had all this feedback happening with the speaker system. And I mean, best practices are really finding ways to get everyone connected the most we possibly can, having a lot of rehearsals which we have to do more rehearsing than we ever have before because it's not just rehearsing the content. It's rehearsing how you run the meeting. You know, how do you handle a Q and a session? Who's going to MC the meeting? What if they start asking questions in the chat? You know, what do we do if they ask certain questions? Okay. How are we going to manage, you know, texting each other the whole time? Who's going to be keeping control of the time and making sure we know if we're on track, like all that kind of little logistical stuff, which seems like nonsense and so pedantical is really important. Um, and now we're trying to explore other things like how do you do breakout rooms? How do you do work sessions online that are more creative? The technology hasn't really caught up though. I don't think. Totally. Like, no, not Zoom at all. is, you know, great. It's the best tool I think that we use, but it hasn't caught up with all the different ways that we should be able to, to show our work. I mean, half the time we're worried if the video is going to play, you know, because of Wi-Fi challenges. So the technology, I, I don't think they had any time to catch up. It just went so crazy. I mean, my mom knows how to use Zoom. I know everyone's mom does. My mom's 84 years old and she's on Zoom. So they didn't have time to catch up. I hope that innovation starts to come in that space because we're going to need it. Like you said, it's not going back to the old way. 
So at some point, the basics are no longer going to be good enough. We're going to need more creativity in how we present. I couldn't agree more. Um, do you have any things that you're you're looking forward to for 2021? Um, any any things that um, you know from a marketing perspective, newer emerging technologies or or, or strategies for for you all to get more clients? Yeah, I mean, we're trying a lot of tools have, have popped up in sort of the project management space. But we, you know, we kind of already have a system in place with that. What we're trying to look at now, and we're exploring every single day, are creative ways of presenting the content. So instead of throwing up a PowerPoint presentation with a bunch of videos in it, like what other ways can we use that that work within the platforms? That's the challenge. So there's lots of cool things that exist out there, but they have to work within Zoom or Teams or Google Hangouts. And that's where we're running into issues because it's not complementary. So unless Zoom and Teams, you know, Zoom and Microsoft and all the other big platforms start building them themselves, that's that's where we run into issues. Yeah, I you know, I, I recently talked to 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 Rachel Thornton from Amazon. Um, she's super rad and she was talking about, you know, the Amazon approach to meetings where it's like you write basically like a six page brief and then you all read it in the first part of the interview. And then, and then you go do that. I, I, I always think about like, like that would be the perfect way to pitch, but nobody would do it. Right. It's like, I mean, I guess, I guess they would do it. Uh, if you were just sitting there, if that was the first part of the meeting, but nobody would really like it, but that's how I think about sharing videos, sharing campaigns, you know, um, things like that, where it's like, would it just be easier if we just all spent the first half of the meeting and just sat there on the meeting with each other and just like, listen to all the stuff you sent, watch all the videos that we sent, you know, read through the pitch, uh, all that stuff. I don't know. It, it just seems like, um, cause otherwise you just have so many different people on, on different pages and it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's always the challenge for us. We want to do it differently, but then we have this list that we need to check off, you know? We have procurement, we have marketing, we have media, a lot of consultant who's running it. So there's a lot of stakeholders that we need to speak to. And so we end up, you know, we struggle because we want to speak to everyone and cover all of the topics that they've asked us for. Um, yeah, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Lightning round questions. Aaron, are you ready? I am ready, I think. <laughs> Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you've been binging recently? Yeah, I actually, um, I binge watch this woman who is a wisdom teacher. She's an Eastern and Western. She's a clinical psychologist who also knows about Eastern philosophy and spirituality. Her name is Dr. Shafali. I highly recommend her. To anyone who's, you know, having any kind of struggles with this whole how to balance our lives during COVID and, and not get caught up in the, in the madness. Dr. Shafali, her name is. Do you have a best advice for a chief growth officer? I guess I would say not to get caught up in the weeds as much. It's very easy to get caught up in the weeds to try and stick to your vision as much as possible. And don't be afraid to tell people no, when they're trying to push you in a different direction. You know, you know what your, your boss needs you to do. Your CEO that you work for is usually the case. And you need to stick to that because it's very easy to get thrown 
you know, into, into a lot of different projects that aren't helping you achieve those goals. So that would be my one big advice, piece of advice, I guess. What do you do for fun? Well, I ran the New York Marathon last year and I'm hoping to, well, the last time they had it, I'm hoping to do that again this year when it hopefully comes back. So I'll be training for that. And I also binge watch a lot of Netflix and various TV programs. I have a, a strange addiction to crime dramas. So pretty much any crime drama. I specifically like the, uh, the British ones. So I'm always exploring other options. If anybody has any recommendations, I'm always open because I think I've watched pretty much everything that exists. Have you watched Lupin yet? No, I haven't. It's on my list though. Is it good? Oh, it's so good. It's it's amazingly good. I was like devastated when I got to the final episode because I didn't realize that it was only, I think the episode's like, it's like maybe a five episode season or something like that. And uh, I was like sitting there in silence for like 10 minutes. I'm like, but it's, but it's just... You can't stop now. It's amazing. I love it. Uh, I recommend watching the French version with the subtitles. Um, it's just an it's an incredibly done show. I I uh, I'm a soon to be father, and it's a lot of father and son stuff. And so maybe I'm just oh, that's right nice. You're getting sentimental. Yeah, exactly. But it's a it's a really cool show. What is one question that you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? I don't know. I wish people would ask me a little bit more about what it's like to be a Canadian living in New York. People make like assumptions about that a lot, I think, because uh, everyone assumes that it's it's the same and it's so different. I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words. There's a there's a there's a lot of similarities, of course. I'm from Toronto, so it's a big city relatively, you know, for Canada. But there's a lot more um, people here aren't as self-deprecating as Canadians are. And I've always found that a little bit difficult to navigate, I guess, because I have a bit of a self-deprecating sense of humor. And so that, that's been one of my biggest challenges, even though I've lived here for 13 years. Yeah. Hear that in New York, you need to be a little more self-deprecating. I'm with you there. Um, it's why Canadians are so good at comedy. Um, Cause you're just, you're just the, the right people for it. Yeah. There's, a, there's a very competitive nature to, and I mean this with all due respect, but when I, when I think about the diff- main differences between us, there's a very competitive world here. You know, the, the U.S. is a very competitive place. Canadians are competitive, too, but we, we just look at it in a very different way, right? So if someone says to you, oh, you're really good at something, we self-deprecate. We say, ah, no, I'm not good at that. Whereas I would, you know, typically in some places in the U.S., I, there would be much more of a, yeah, I know I'm good at it, you know. So I don't, we, don't, we don't care about showing weakness, I guess. Is our is our <laughs> is our thing? We're not really concerned about that so much. But yeah, there's a lot of good. Com- I mean, speaking of TV shows, did you watch Shit's Creek? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Funniest people. Yeah, I grew up watching like SCTV, so I um, yeah, I love all of those actors. All those comedians are great. Well, I can tell you one thing that uh, you are very strong with is your marketing trends knowledge. Um, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, coming on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, anything else? Anything to plug? No, thank you. I, I really appreciate your time and for inviting me on and giving me a chance to talk about all this stuff with you. It was re- it was a real pleasure and uh, best of luck with your podcast as well. I'll listen in. I, I think there's probably some great other marketers on there that I should be listening to. So I look forward to that. I appreciate it. Thanks so much and take care. Okay. Thank you. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. 
Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.